RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste. And the destination the Japanese colonial era. During the 1930s and 40s, Japanese filmmakers turned their camera lenses towards Taiwan. The island had been under Japanese colonial rule for decades, and through their works, many of these filmmakers helped reinforce that rule. Some made overt propaganda films, others introductory guides to the island. But in all these films, it's made clear who's in charge here. Left behind after World War II, when Japanese rule came to an end, a number of these films have ended up in archives, like those of the National Museum of Taiwan History in Tainan. Through a lengthy process of restoration, this museum has brought close to 200 reels of colonial-era film into the best shape that current techniques allow, and it's released four of its best-preserved films on a DVD called Colonial Japanese Documentaries on Taiwan. These films' two hours of combined footage show Taiwan as the colonial authorities wanted it to be seen. It's shown as a critical stepping stone on a southward march of expansion, as a place where loyal subjects who do as they're told reap rewards, and as an island whose young men are prepared to make the ultimate sacrifice for the empire when called upon. Here to tell us more about these expertly restored films is museum researcher Chen Yihong. The films take us on a more or less chronological journey through the years leading up to World War II. The first film Mr. Chun introduces is called The Happy Farmer. It's a silent film that targets farmers in southern Taiwan with a message. Participate in the Jianan Irrigation Project or face ruin. This irrigation works, finished in 1930, greatly boosted rice output in southern Taiwan. But Mr. Chen says that farmers were expected to dig their own channels connecting the water-bearing canals to their fields. The film is like a fable or a parable, telling the story of good farmers and bad farmers. The bad farmers ignore the irrigation works and are left to face a drought. Their prayers and elaborate rituals fail to bring rain. But when they finally repent and sign up to participate in the project, they find good harvests and prosperity that allows the main bad farmer to marry. All the customs of 1930s village life are on display, but despite these nods to Taiwanese ways, the 1930s was a decade of growing pressure for Taiwanese people to adopt Japanese ways. As an aside, the film shows good farmers going to evening language classes, where they learn to talk about the lack of rain in Japanese. The second film Mr. Chun introduces is called Southward Expansion into Taiwan. He says this hour-long film was created by the heads of two leading business magazines and finished around 1937. Their audience were Japanese viewers, who they hoped would invest in, immigrate to, and tour Taiwan. But the film also pushes hard on a popular political idea of the time. The idea that Taiwan was a critical stepping stone for colonial expansion into the rich lands of Southeast Asia. Taiwan was supposed to be the gateway. 
The result is an odd mixture of propaganda piece, educational film, and tourist brochure. It takes viewers on a full tour of Taiwan, moving bit by bit down the west coast and back up the east coast with a little between each step of the way. We look at scenic tourist attractions and major local industries like sugar processing. The more advanced a nation is, the narrator tells us, the more sugar it consumes. So he says, be sure to eat plenty of Taiwan sugar. A montage of flashing neon lights shows Taipei as a modern colonial capital. And in this idealized model colony, we're shown indigenous people who not only submit, but insist on abandoning their old customs. The narrator explains that they've joined the new order as teachers and policemen. He also tells us that one group on screen only agreed to demonstrate a traditional dance because the camera crew insisted. A major revolt of indigenous people around seven years before this film was made suggests that viewers probably weren't getting the full story. The final two films are government productions called Civilian Dojo and Taiwan Youth Corps for the Nation. These films show Taiwanese civilians undergoing training during World War II as the empire actually made its southern move on Southeast Asia. Both of the films show life at training centers, where the days of young men are taken up with activities like flag raisings, military exercises, physical labor, indoctrination, and in one case, even math classes. In the film called Civilian Dojo, graduates of this program get certificates, something Mr. Chen says would have made them a priority for military recruitment as the war effort started to buckle. Training centers like these were something new. Before 1942, Taiwanese men had been excluded from military service. But as the war went on, they were mobilized too. Watching these films, you begin to ask yourself where they were shown. The three films directed at Taiwanese people were probably shown as part of traveling screenings, with projectors set up in local classrooms and public squares around the island. But there's still one film we have some questions about. All films made during this period had to be approved by censors, who required script books for their consideration. The museum also has a collection of 130 of these film scripts, complete with a censor's stamp. But as a silent film, The Happy Farmer doesn't have a script book, which leaves questions as to how it was presented to its audience. Now and then, the action on screen is broken up with cards describing the plot in Japanese. But could there have been a narrator at each screening to voice the action? We can't be sure. Another question is how the museum got possession of these rare films. Mr. Chen says this story begins around 2004. He says the museum got word about a collector with many rare reels of tape. It's likely the reels originally belonged to the Tainan prefectural government, which used them as educational materials. The museum decided to buy the lot, more or less sight unseen, not even knowing whether the tape could be restored at all. They also found that they only had parts of certain films. Like most films from the time that were longer than a few minutes, these films were stored on multiple reels, each one several hundred feet long, 
that had to be changed as the film progressed. The film's southward expansion into Taiwan was split up over seven reels, and the museum only got the last of those in 2007. The restoration work was slow, but fortunately, Mr. Chen says, the repairs on all that tape were a success. The DVD of these films was released in 2008, after the restored tape had been digitized. How has the public received these films in the 10 years since their release? And what does the museum hope the public will learn from them? Mr. Chen says the films have been screened at institutions like National Taiwan University, where they've been discussed and analyzed from a variety of angles. And there's something in these films for non-academics too, he says. They allow Taiwan's people to take a look directly into their island's past, to actually see what Taiwan's past looks like, as recorded on film 70 and 80 years ago. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another journey through time. Thanks to the National Museum of Taiwan History for permission to broadcast short excerpts from these films. The Sound of the Amis Tribe on Radio Taiwan International.